Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Eight chapters before today's gospel, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, St. Luke writes, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. In today's gospel, Jesus, or today's, in today's gospel, Luke reiterates that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, he will serve as the sacrificial lamb. He will be lifted up on the cross to redeem mankind from his sin, reconciling sinners to God, our Heavenly Father, opening the gates of heaven to all who call upon him. Now, because Jesus is passing from Samaria to and Galilee to Jerusalem, he still does have a long ways to go. He's still up in that northern region of the promised land. And on this occasion, as Jesus is approaching a village, he meets 10 men who are lepers. These men are suffering. They are suffering from a skin disease that was contagious. They are suffering because their, their contagious skin disease separated them from society so that others would not get sick, and they were considered to be ceremonially unclean. For some, the skin disease was painful. For others, it becomes fatal. And so these men suffered a great affliction. They did not choose to bear the suffering, but it was placed upon them. And because of their leprosy, they were separated. They were quarantined. They were unclean, and they had to shout out, unclean, unclean, so that no person without leprosy would come into their midst. It made for a terrible life, a difficult life, one where one could not carry on a normal and regular job, one where the person suffered much greater affliction than just having to shout out, unclean, unclean. But despite the great affliction they faced, something else happened to them. Prejudices, which they normally would have, have now been removed from them. It is probably safe to say that all people have prejudices of one sort or another. Differences in cultures and skin colors are obvious for some to have prejudices. But the rich can be prejudiced against the poor and the poor against the rich. The agile against the clumsy, the artist against the engineer, the educated against the uneducated. You can go on all day with where areas in which people may have prejudices against others. The various prejudices one has are often removed, though, during times of great affliction. When we consider the fact that just last week we celebrated the anniversary of 9-11, we can also think about, or I shouldn't say celebrated, we observed the anniversary, but we can also think about what happened when 9-11 occurred, all those divisions that our country suffers from, all of those ways in which people are divided, suddenly there was an unprecedented amount of unity that our country displayed. And here in this gospel reading, we learn that there are not only Jews who are crying out unclean, 
but there's at least one Samaritan. And they are banded together. Their cultural differences, the various things that would normally keep them at odds with one another, suddenly now vanished. They became irrelevant in the midst of their affliction. And these men, these 10 men, were no longer opposed to each other. Instead of engaging in the generation's long battles between the Samaritans and the Jews, these men banded together. Now, if someone is holding your hand because you slipped and you're about to fall off a giant ledge in which you would never recover, if that person is different than you are, holds to different beliefs, is of a different culture, has a different look than you, you would never ever consider those types of differences while that person's hand is holding on to yours, preventing you from falling to your ruin. None of that would matter. For, in fact, our prejudices are just that. While often deep-seated and even heartfelt, they are temptations of Satan, tools of the devil to divide those who are supposed to, be, to love one another. And so, maybe we should be bold to say, may God send us afflictions to tear us away from our sinful prejudices. And even more so, may we heed the word of God, for we should not have to face affliction to finally believe and practice that which the scriptures teach. In the church in Corinth, some were bragging about their own talents and they were putting other people down. In response, Paul taught that there are diversities of gifts, but it is the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who brings about these gifts. There are different kinds of service, but as the church served, they are serving the same Lord. Let me read to you a portion of what Paul addresses to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He writes, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't, know, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it.
So together, we make up the body of Christ. Each person has a different function. Each person has different abilities and different gifts. And we rejoice in the various, diff- various talents and gifts that God has blessed his people with. Instead of looking at others with some sort of prejudice because they're different than we are, we rejoice in the reality that we are all to work together as God's people, one in mind, one in heart, one in the word of God. Yet as descendants of Adam and Eve, we still have inherited that same sinful flesh as Adam. We still sin. And so we plead to get God when we are guilty and we receive from Christ the forgiveness of our sins. For in Adam all became sinners through Christ. He declares sinners to be righteous. And one thing we can also learn as being all descendants of Adam and Eve is that we are all related. We are all brothers and sisters. Now in today's gospel, there are 10 men with leprosy, some Jews and at least a Samaritan, and they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now these men definitely wanted mercy from God, did they not? They wanted to be healed. That's what they were asking for when they said, have mercy on us. But sadly, most of them did not seem to really want God. They wanted his mercy, but they didn't want him. So once they got what they desired from the one who gave it to them, then they figured that that giver is now dispensable to them. This matches what many think religion is all about. When they, think, when they need something, they go and find God. They then get what they need from God, and when they get what they're looking for, they go their way. To them, God, the Christian religion, is just a vending machine, which dispenses things out when they need it to be ignored at all other times. In this type of religion, Jesus amounts to nothing, for he is not a savior to them. He does not need to be trusted. For who needs a sacrificial lamb when all that they're concerned about is the here and now? To get something immediately, to get that instant gratification, to get that healing, whatever it is, and then to say, okay, I'll show up again when I need you down the road, be it 10, 20, 30 years from now, or whenever I think something happens. Who needs to deliver? Who needs someone to deliver you from your sin and eternal death when you only are looking for a God to bail you out of something really bad or to help you in a time of great uncertainty and distress. Shockingly, the ten lepers all departed when Jesus said, go and show yourselves to the priests. Luke doesn't report that they were healed that very instant, as we can hear in some of the other miracles of Jesus, But instead, Luke reports, and as they went, they were cleansed. So as they left, evidently trusting that he's going to do something good for them, they are now cleansed of their leprosy. It didn't matter to Jesus who would come back and give thanks, because Jesus is good. We don't change our baby's diapers only when they are going to give us thanks for changing their diapers. 
even when they are trying to fight us and resist giving them clean clothing or a fresh diaper, we do what is good for our little ones. And we do it because we love them. Jesus, in the same way, loved all ten of these lepers. He causes rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. God sends or causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 in his Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus loved all ten of these, despite their impurity, despite their differing cultures, and so he healed them all, performing yet another amazing miracle. Now, if God were to give us good things only after we've been good, we would never receive any good thing. But instead, he, as it is written in Psalm 145, opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. Luke then reports, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned or turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. For the last seven years, the History Channel has run a reality show called Alone. I've seen it just a couple few times. The participants live alone, and they must survive off of the land. Christians, when preparing to eat, will pray to God, giving him thanks. They give thanksgiving to God because he is the giver of good things. And that show the pagans who participate in that show will give thanks to the snail or to the bug or the varmint or whatever they're eating, thanking that creature because it sacrificed its life as food for that person. You see the difference. Some give thanks for their, to, some give thanks of their, to their possessions, and others recognize who they are to give thanks to. They recognize that God is the giver of all good things, and so they do not give thanks to their possessions, but they give thanks to the very God who supplies our everyday needs. As Christians, we will continue to give thanks to God who gives us our abilities and who enables us to continue to live. The Samaritan did not just put on the attitude of gratitude for being healed, which perhaps the others did too. And I'm not criticizing the attitude of gratitude. It's good to have. Instead, though, he, the Samaritan praised God so he went beyond just having the attitude of gratitude. He praised God with a loud voice, falling on his face at Jesus' feet. He gave Jesus thanks. We do something similar in the divine service. The service begins with your pastor at the baptismal font. I stand right by the baptismal font. For it is at the baptismal font that God has placed his name upon you. He adds you to his family. He drowns your sins. You die to sin and you rise to newness of life. And so with the pastor standing by the baptismal font, at the beginning of the service, you confess your sin to God. And Jesus tells you that he forgives you. And he does so through the voice of your pastor as your eyes are fixed upon that baptismal font where these blessings are granted to you. 
then you are ready to come into God's presence, praising and thanking him. And this is indicated as the pastor goes from the baptismal font up to the altar during the introit, during this entrance, during this prayer, during that psalm. And then what do we do? We do as these lepers did, we cry to Jesus for mercy. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. And this is immediately followed by our loud voices, a lifted up voice as this Samaritan did when he came back to Jesus to give him thanks. We sing the Gloria in excelsis. There we praise God, we bless God, we worship God for his great glory, that Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins and he reconciles us to our Father. In faith we sing with a loud voice what he has done for us. The leper returned to Jesus and gave thanks with a loud voice. And so with loud voices we also return thanks to Jesus. Could you imagine for a moment, this leper having been healed of all of his disease and knowing now that God has showered his love upon him and has been so merciful, the leper just comes up to Jesus and sits there, maybe even silently with arms crossed. Could you imagine him doing that? Like so many do when they gather in God's house. How much more should we be singing with thanksgiving to the one who redeemed us by his blood and opened the gates of heaven to us? If we're not used to participating in all parts of the service, now is really the time to begin. We can do so by praying, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise as King David taught us to do so when he confessed his sin. If we're unfamiliar with a hymn, let us struggle with it until we finally got it. If we don't think we're good singers, let's sing anyway, because it's not about some sort of performance. But it is, like the leper, lifting up our voices loudly to return thanks. This is genuine worship, praising God, confessing his goodness, giving him thanks. For Christ who was slain is risen. He loves us and he grants us the victory. He gives us that victory over sin, death, and hell. Anyone who visits our church should be impressed. They should be astounded by the thankful hearts God's people have here. They should see it in the joy that our people have, for they have been forgiven. They have been blessed by God in immeasurable ways. They should see the bold singing and the attentive listening of God's people. And from this, they should conclude that something important, something divine is actually taking place here. And if you don't feel that I've described accurately our congregation, the change begins first with you. You can sing more loudly and clearly. You can listen even more attentively. And you can be even cheerier. For Christ is truly present. He is imparting his gifts. He is teaching us his divine word. He is forgiving us. He is feeding us his body and his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. He is reconciling us to our Father in heaven. 
our focus remains on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And when the Samaritan comes back alone to give thanks, Jesus replies, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return to give and praise God or, or, and give praise to God except this foreigner? Here Jesus is not teaching us to only help those who will retain, return thanks to us. It is a temptation for us to say, well, I'm not helping that person anymore because he didn't give me the kind of thanks that I expected. I think there is where our Lord's words, judge not, come into play. Because how many times have we failed to return thanks to those who have done good to us? We don't even see all the many ways that people have done good for us. Instead, what Jesus is doing here is he's pointing out that even foreigners can receive the gospel. We were once considered foreigners. We were once dead in our sins and trespasses. And God made us alive. He baptized us into his family. And so, again, all those prejudices must be done away with. For Jesus, as the Lamb of God, takes away the sin, not only of Americans, not only of certain types of people, but he takes away the sin of the entire world. And Jesus said to the leper, rise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Actually, the Greek doesn't say your faith has made you well. I just read to you what our translation said. Instead, it says your faith has saved you. I, I, I think that translators are figuring that Jesus meant to indicate that the leper's faith is what healed him. But I don't think that's what Jesus' point is. After all, all of them were made well. All of them were healed, regardless of if they had faith or not. But only one came back in faith. One came back to return thanks. One came back to worship Jesus. One came back recognizing that Jesus is the creator and he is the giver of all good things. This one, this Samaritan, certainly had faith. And this faith saved him. By it, Christ delivered to him what he needed for eternal salvation. And so this leper was not only healed of his leprosy, but he also received that gift of eternal life and salvation. He was added into God's family by faith. God grant that we all be found with this saving faith, faith which trusts in our Savior, believing in him who conquered death and takes away our sin through his sacrifice on the cross. And God grant that we may be thankful through our generosity and through our open lips, for Christ has truly met us with mercy every time we have called out to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.